G.K. Beale writes in his book this. He says, What people revere, they resemble. What people revere, they resemble, either for ruin or for restoration. And it's this phenomenon, I can never say that word, um, within idolatry that I want to preach on today. Namely, we become like what we worship. Psalm 115 has to be understood in the context of the second commandment within the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. Of course, we all know that the Ten Commandments were given to Israel through Moses when they came up out of Egypt. And Psalm 115 is a celebration of this second commandment. Perhaps we could include the first as well. You shall have no other gods before me. And the psalm expresses worship to the true and living God in contrast to the false gods of the nations all around. And these nations all around, well, they loved to mock Israel because they worshipped a God that was invisible, where all, the, all of their gods were very visible. They were often in temples on little platforms. Uh, and uh, it appears from this psalm that the nations around mocked Israel. And uh, the psalmist says, Wherefore, why should the heathen say, 
where is now their God? We can't see him. We can see ours, but we can't see yours. And verses 3 to 7 give praise to God through contrasting the living and the true God with the false gods of the nations. And we can imagine the, the admiration that the people of God in Israel had as they thought about their God compared to the false gods. Yes, they displayed their gods in temples, but Jehovah, he lives in heaven, not in the temple, he's in his own temple, a heavenly temple. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They had to be made and crafted. But our God, we didn't make our God, our God made us. He is our maker. Their gods have mouths and eyes and noses and hands and feet, but they can't see or see or smell or hear or walk. But our God is the living God. And it's in that context that we have to understand our text, Psalm 115, verse 8. They that make them are like unto them, so is everyone that trusteth in them. And we cannot escape the irony of this verse, the mocking tone of the psalmist. It's very similar to Isaiah chapter 44, which is quite funny to read. And what is the irony? It's in the, it's in, it is in this, that after making all the effort to chop down a tree or hew out a, a rock from the mountainside and, and to get a shaping tool and to, to make it into the shape of the God that you want and you begin to worship it, after all of that effort for you, where you're doing all the crafting and the shaping and the moulding, what happens? What actually happens is in the end is that you, the worshipper, are moulded by the idol into the image of the idol because you become what you worship. They become like what they worship. They that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. Those that make the idols and those that worship the idols, in the end, they become like what they worship. And whilst that is quite funny in a way, and it's meant to be, it speaks of a broader spiritual principle about the nature of you and I, the nature of humankind. And that truth is found right at the beginning of the Bible, in the Genesis account of the creation of man, where it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. You see, humanity is created in the image of God. We are created to be creatures who reflect what we worship. Originally, of course, man, before sin came into the world, was meant to reflect God. But after the fall, the vast majority of people ceased to worship God and ceased to reflect Him as they were designed to do. And part of man's reflection of God 
was in man's natural impulse to imitate God. Because we were made in the image of God and we were made to image God through a life of worship, which means a heart and a mind and a will totally dedicated to the love and service of God. Put simply, man was made to copy God. He was made in the image of God and he was meant to copy God. And we all know, don't we, from when we from little children, those of us who have grown up children, we remember how they copy everything we do. Even the baby in the pram learns speech through looking at the mother's face and, and, and that's how speech begins. And we copy our dad and takes us, teaches us to, to ride a bike or, or how to behave in church or in the restaurant and we, we learn through imitating and through copying. It's within us. We're made to imitate. If we worship God, if we imitate God, that attitude of respect, love and devotion and reliance on God in worship changes those who love God into the image, even more into the image of God. Worship changes us. And this morning, whether you're a religious person or not, whether you consider yourself a Christian or not, you are a worshipper. You're a worshipful and imitative being. Because you must worship something. That's the way you're made, the way you're wired. And the truth crying out from our text this morning is that whatever you choose to worship in your life, you're going to become like it. We either worship God and conform to his likeness, or we worship the things of this world and we're moulded into the shape of this world. To repeat Professor Beale, what, we, what people revere, they resemble either for ruin or restoration. And I wonder if you've ever realised that about yourself this morning. That you become like the gods that you worship in your life. And so the natural question to ask is, what God are you worshipping? Are you worshipping the God of heaven or some other false God in this world? And whatever you give your life to, you will end up resembling. There are some examples of this, uh, many examples in Scripture. We'll just limit ourselves to two very quick ones which demonstrate the truth of what I've just said. Think about, first of all, of that time when Israel, the people of Israel, began looking at their watch, wondering why Moses was taking so long to come down from Mount Sinai with the law. And the people thought that Moses was not going to come down and they rebelled. And they asked Aaron to um, create a god for them. And Aaron said, well, take your earrings off. And the wives took their earrings off and the daughters. And they must have been very modern in those days. Even the boys wore earrings too. 
uh, and they took their earrings off and they gave them to Aaron and he melted all these earrings and he took a shaping tool and he made a golden calf and Israel said behold your gods O Israel and they worshipped the golden calf the golden cow instead of the Lord of heaven but what's interesting is how, what Moses said or rather what God said I should say about this he said he said to, to uh, Moses in verse 8 of chapter 32 of Exodus they have turned aside quickly out of the way and then in the following verse in verse 9 he says they are a stiff necked people in other words God describes the people in words which resemble the most difficult and unattractive behaviours in cattle. And I know something about that from having been, much of the time, having access to farm life growing up. Cattle can be a pain. They can be stubborn and they can get out. They wander away. It's not just sheep, cattle do it too. They break out from where they are supposed to be and God is saying, these people who are now worshipping a golden calf, a golden heifer, they've become like what they worship. They've become what rebellious, they've wandered away and they've become stubborn and stiff-necked. And that way of describing Israel wasn't just then, it was hundreds and hundreds of years later Hosea said in verse 4, 16 for Israel slideth back as a backsliding heifer the principle, what is the principle if you worship a cow you will become like a cow because we become like what we worship another interesting example of this is how the Lord describes Israel's choice to worship the Canaanite fertility god Baal after Israel had settled in the land of Canaan. In 2 Kings 17.15 it says they, the people of Israel, rejected his statutes and his covenant that he had made with their fathers and his testimonies which he testified against them and they followed after vanity and became vain and went after the heathen that were round about them concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. Keep your eye on that phrase and became vain. That word vain is only found in, in, in two places in the scripture here and in Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 5. Where it says, Thus saith the Lord, What iniquity have your fathers found in me, that they are gone far from me, and have walked after vanity, and are become vain. There it is again, vain. And that Hebrew word vain means vanity or emptiness. Really it means nothingness. 
state of nothingness, vanity. And so these people, Israel, are worshipping these false, empty, dead, speechless gods. They're not really anything. And they've worshipped them. They've turned away from the living God. They're now worshipping gods like that. And what happens? The worshippers have become empty and vain. They become nothing. They become like the gods they worship. Again, the principle, worship vain idols and you become a vain and empty person. Idols are spiritually lifeless dead and that is what we become if we worship them. And as Israel worship idols that have no true eyes to see, no ears to hear, so Israel loses something. It loses its capacity to see or to hear the things of God. Isaiah said in chapter 6, Make the heart of this people fat and make their ears heavy and shut their eyes. You see, when we worship in a false way, it deadens our minds and our souls and we become as dead and as lifeless as the things that we worship. And when we come to the New Testament, and I'm thinking of a reading particularly that we had earlier, Paul teaches very clearly the effects of idolatry upon the character and the behaviour of those who engage in pagan worship. Pagan worship results in pagan thinking, and pagan thinking results in pagan behaviour. Paul says in chapter 1 of Romans 23, they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image, an idol, made like to corruptible man and to birds and forfeited beasts and creeping things. This is how foolish we become. We have a true and living God who, who we refuse to worship and we worship beetles and bugs and images of forfeited beasts. And what happens to these worshippers of these idols? It says in verse 21, they become very vain and foolish. They corrupt the true worship of God and this leads to corrupt behaviour. If you worship unnaturally, your behaviour behavior becomes unnatural. If you worship vile idols, you become vile. And it talks about how men go with men and women go with women. That's the result of false worship. Because you become what you worship. Worship the image of animals, dear friends, and what happens? You end up behaving like an animal. You become like what you worship. But as we think, as we balance this and pivot towards the good news of the gospel, what we say is true of worshiping false gods is also true in a positive way 
when we worship the one true God. If we worship the creator of heaven and earth, we become like the creator. If we worship a lie, we become liars. If we worship that which is false, we become false. The very opposite of God becomes a twisted and perverted worship. But if we worship the true and the real and the holy God, what happens? We become like the one we worship. And so in Romans chapter 1 verse 21, this word image, echinos, is used twice in Romans and it's used first of all, in, as I say in 121 in this in relation to the worship of the image of false gods. But it's used in a positive way in Romans 8, 29, where it speaks of a very different kind of image. Romans 8, 29 says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, to be conformed to the image of his Son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, conformed to the image of his Son. It is in fact used once more, that word, in Revelation 15, in relation to the image of the beast, but we're not going to talk about that. So basically, in Romans, Paul is saying that there are two images Two shapes, two moulds, if you like, into which a person can be shaped. There's the distorted image of an idol, or there is the image of the Creator, in whose image man was originally made. And the choice for you and for I is whether, as individuals, we continue to worship false idols. And to become what such worship will eventually make you. Or whether we worship the true God and allow him to what? To recreate us into the image of his son. As it says there in Romans 8. To be conformed into the image of his son. Into the image and likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the two options. Those are the two types of worship. You could say there are two types of sacrifice in Romans. The sacrifices that we make to the beasts, the, the idol beasts, in chapter 1, or is this, there's the sacrifice we make to God in chapter 12, verse 1, where it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And what happens if we worship like that? Well, we're told in the very next verse, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, we're transformed, we're renewed into the image of the true God if we worship him. We become like what we worship. Because in true worship, 
you have to be made a new person. You have to be made a brand new person in Christ. And in Christ our minds and our hearts are being transformed and renewed and remade to conform to the image of Christ. Paul says in Colossians 3 verse 10 that the Christian, being a Christian, is like putting on the new man which is, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him, which is that after the image of him that created him. And this is only true of a Christian who has put on the new man. That's a strange phrase, what does that mean? It means those who have been given a new nature through the new birth. That's what the new man is. The Christian is a new creation. And God's business over time and through the work of the Holy Spirit, through a, a process, a Holy Spirit process called progressive sanctification, we become fully restored to the image of God which has been broken and shattered within us through sin, but through the Holy Spirit's work in sancti sanctification, we are restored to the beautiful image of God. Made into the likeness of him and image of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, being a Christian is so much more than, than just uh, being forgiven or, or, or patched up. We're remade, we're renewed, we're given, we're given a new nature, a new man. And this is the wonderful thing about being a Christian, dear friends, is, is that, is, as it says in 2 Corinthians, we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, or what? Every day, we're changed into the same image, from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Well, I want a life like that, don't you? Where the Holy Spirit is renewing me and remaking me into that new, into that new nature, into that image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the message of the gospel is that the true God, the true God of Israel, has revealed Himself in the person of Jesus Christ, His Son. And it is Jesus who is the image of the invisible God, not idols of stone or wood, a four-footed beast, the real image of God, the real likeness of God is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, it says. And it is in the image of Christ that the Holy Spirit can remake you. He can begin a great work where he reverses the effect the corrupting and damaging and destructing and destructive effects of sin in your life. And he can reverse all of that and recreate you and remake you into true with true likeness to the Son of God. He can restore in you true holiness and true righteousness. And we know this because Christ has died and Christ has risen again. And he is the firstborn of, of every creature. The firstborn of the dead. What does that mean? It means that he is the head of a new humanity. 
the church, a bunch of new creatures, a bunch of people with new natures, born again from within, who have the life of Christ's resurrection pulsating within them and every day making them new, giving them the spiritual vigour and power to resist sin and to obey God. And every second of every day, we become more and more like what? The image of his dear son. Because we become like what we worship. Charles Wesley said, finish then, thy new creation, true and spotless let us be. Let us see thy great salvation perfectly restored in thee. Changed from glory into glory, till in heaven we take our place, till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love and praise. Dear friends, you're becoming whatever you're worshipping. You may object, well I don't worship idols. I'm a sophisticated modern man, but you see you haven't understood Idolatry is the diagnosis of the human heart, of the human condition to which the gospel is the cure. Idolatry is the condition, the gospel is the cure. And the root of your problems and our problems are not social problems. The root of all of our problems is an idolatrous and rebellious heart. Rebellion against God and replacement of true worship of him with worship of that which is false. And we rob God, we're robbers, we're rebels and robbers because we deny God the worship that he deserves. And what happens? We're left empty, we're left the shadows of the type of people that we could be and that we are meant to be in God. We may not bow down to wood and stone, but the New Testament makes it very clear that a covetous, greedy heart is idolatry. Even Christians are warned to flee idolatry in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 14. The truth is that we will be, we will become like whatever has captured our hearts. If we've been captured by the love of money, we'll be turned into greedy, covetous people. It will shape us. In Charles Dickens' novel, A Christmas Carol, the first ghost that appears to Scrooge in his bedroom is the ghost of his ex-business partner partner Marley and he appears to Scrooge bound in chains and Scrooge says what are the chains what are these chains and Marley says I wear the chain I forged in life the chains of greed and Marley warns Scrooge that every day he carries on worshipping wealth Every day he puts his business before anything else. 
He's building a chain. Building a chain in life that he will take into death. That will take him in the end to the very gates of hell. You see, you are a worshipper, dear friend, either of God or of idols. And you need a new heart. You need to be born again. You need to worship at the true altar. And God in Christ wants you to come to him and to worship him in spirit and in truth. To be made new, to be fitted with true righteousness, not just for this life, but for the new world to come. And he invites you, in fact he does more than invite you, he, invites you. he commands you to, to repent, to turn from idols and to turn to the living and the true God. He commands you to turn to him and be saved. May it be true of you this morning. Amen.